stand for the reading of God's word. I will be reading from Matthew 5, 1 through 7, which is on page 809. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your words that you have given to us. Thank you for every person that is gathered here today to hear your words. Help us to be engaged and comprehend your words today. Amen. Everyone? Oh, man. That's going to be rough if that's how you guys are. I'm just kidding. Good morning, everybody. Awesome. My name is Shay. I'm one of the pastors here at Living Stones. Uh, before I dive into the text, I actually want to lift up a prayer for South Reno because uh, we really value uh, the fact that we as Living Stones are planting more and more churches because that means more and more people get to hear about Christ. And uh, where, where before people were having to drive from South Reno up to Midtown, though it may not seem like a long distance for us, um, man, it was keeping people from the gospel. So now that there's a church down there, people get to hear about Jesus. And so I just want to offer up a prayer real fast before we get into the text. Uh, pray with me. God, uh, thank you so much uh, for this South Reno plant. Um, this, this, is, this is because of your spirit, God. Uh, continue to plant churches. If, if they're Living Stones churches where people are hearing about the gospel, thanks be to God that we get a chance to be a part of your kingdom work. Uh, but God, we pray for them this morning. Uh, I know already people are wanting to come against them and the fact that they are standing for biblical truth and for the preaching of your gospel, God. I pray that you uh, keep them away from the, uh, the, the tricks of Satan and that, um, that they get a chance to see people come to faith, that more and more people's lives get changed. And um, God willing, that we will be a city that the rest of the world says, uh, look at the greatness of God in that city. God, we love you. It's through the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. So we have left behind the, uh, the joy that was judges. Uh, we, are, we are now diving into uh, the Sermon on the Mount, which is in Matthew chapter 5. So if you didn't grab a Bible and open up to that, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. And as we're starting this new sermon series, uh, we've named it The Beautiful Way. And the reason we named it that is because as Jesus is teaching what his kingdom looks like through the Sermon on the Mount, he's actually comparing it to the way we live in our little mini kingdoms that we set up. And he's saying, look at my kingdom. It's, it's beautiful and people love each other and the, the meek are celebrating and people can mourn and, and, and the righteousness and all those kind of things flow in my kingdom. And he says, and look at how your kingdom is set up with the death and disease and destruction and people hating one another. And so Jesus is saying, look at my beautiful way. I want to invite you to live in this beautiful way. And as we go through uh, the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is going to take us all the way up into probably about Advent or so, uh, we're going to see how beautiful the kingdom of God is. And I'm really excited because Judges was like, whoa, holy moly. Um, so that's where we are. Jesus is teaching people what his kingdom is like. And through the, the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching people things like 
what you do with your mind and your heart are just as important as what you do with your body. So like if you're saying in your mind, uh, I, I, I don't like this person beside me. I know we're supposed to be brothers, but man, I really don't like him. Jesus is saying what you do, what you think about your, your brother in your mind is just as important as if you were coming against him, actually saying those things to him. Jesus says that if you lust after a person in your heart, then it's just as bad as if you were actually physically touching her with your hands. Jesus is setting up his kingdom that way. He's saying uh, in his kingdom, it's a place where when you restrain yourself from vengeance, uh, it's actually a beautiful thing. He's saying that if someone comes against you and slaps you across the face, you can be rest assured in yourself and you can give them the other cheek. You don't have to come and, and have vengeance for yourself. He's saying his kingdom is a place where you can love your enemies and pray for those who come against you. And we would say, whoa, that is radical. How can we live that way? Uh, And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, your kingdom is not like my kingdom. Uh, My kingdom is beautiful, and I want to invite you to live in my kingdom. And so as a background, I want to actually point you to uh, the verses that are right preceding uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 24, verses 23 to 25, gives us a, it gives us a context of what was happening around the time that Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. And so verse 23 says, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among them. So his fame spread throughout all Syria. Syria was, was north of where they lived. And They brought him all the sick and those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Beautiful. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis. Uh, Galilee and Decapolis were, were to the south of where they were. And from Jerusalem and Judea, that was kind of to the west of where they were. And from beyond the Jordan, so and beyond the Jordan was east of where they were. So the Bible is saying that as Jesus is preaching throughout the region of Galilee, people from all corners are coming to hear about this beautiful way that he's talking about. A place where, where you, you, can, you can be meek and, and, not be, and not become against. You can, you can be strong in your weakness because Christ is your strength for you. He's, he's preaching this kingdom and people are like, I want to hear more about this. And they're coming from all over the known region. And this, this gospel message that he's talking about, he's, as, he's, as he's up proclaiming to the people, he's actually saying, everybody, come to me. All residents of the kingdom of heaven, come to me because peace and justice and mercy and righteousness and all the things of my, of my kingdom are coming with me. Live life in this beautiful way. And I'm recalling all the residents of the kingdom of God. And that call is still going out to us today. And really, as we're looking at it, the Sermon on the Mount is actually kind of like Jesus' inaugural address as he's bringing in his kingdom. Uh, We've seen some inaugural addresses, uh, some good, some bad, depending on who you like in office. I'm not going to get into that. Um, But there was this one president called Harry Truman. Uh, He gave an inaugural address in 1949. And listen to what he said. He said, the United States and other like-minded nations find themselves directly opposed by a regime with contrary aims and a totally different concept of life. That is exactly what Jesus was saying as he's bringing in his kingdom. He's saying, I am coming into a kingdom that has 
a totally contrary aim to what they're doing versus what I want to do and a totally different concept of life. This life is all about disease and death and destruction. This, this world is all about uh, greed and dirty politics and, and selfish ambitions. And Jesus is saying, my kingdom is about humility and peace and love and mercy and kindness, forgiveness and all the things that make a life beautiful. And so we come to the Beatitudes right here at the beginning of, of his uh, Sermon on the Mount. And the word Beatitude, it comes from this Greek word. I, I, if I try to say it, I'd butcher it. So here it is. Uh, this word Beatitude actually comes from a word that means uh, favored by God or, or, or happy or where we get the word blessed. And so you see that each one of these, as we go through them, are saying blessed is this type of person, blessed is that person, type of person. That's where the Beatitudes come from. Um, but if we just took it as a person is, is happy when they're mourning, people will probably look at us like we're crazy, right? Like, how can you be happy when you're mourning? Um, it's because it's like, it's, that's a short-sighted uh, definition of what the word blessed actually is. Uh, because the reason a person is happy is because everything is okay with them and God. When a person is blessed, they're at peace with God. There's, there's nothing between them and God. Them and God are on good terms. That's what, that's what it means to be blessed. Some people use the word blessed and, and you talk to them. Like I got uh, friends and, and family members. I talk to them. They're like, I'm like, hey, how's it going, man? How's it doing? Oh, man, I'm blessed. And, and I think what they mean by that is like, like they got a little bit of money in their pocket and they're not in jail. Like that's, that's their standard of blessing. Something. Like I got other friends like that, that that's just their standard of blessing. Uh, but with God, it's so much more than that. With God, it's like everything is okay with me and you. Everything is right the way it's supposed to be. That's, that's what it means to be blessed by God. There's a man named uh, Bob Marley. You got a couple of y'all might have heard of him. Okay. <laughs> he had this song called Three Little Birds. And if I start singing, I, I bet y'all know the chorus. Don't worry about a thing because it's going to be all right. Right? People know that song. And I think Bob Marley was on to something because that's what our hearts yearn for. We, we yearn for everything to be all right at, at the core of who we are. We, we just want things to be okay. And, and the problem is we do everything inside our power to make them okay. And so we do things that are outside of God. So we do things like we strive for money and success, thinking that, man, if I get some change in my pocket and, and I get this status, maybe this promotion at work, then things will be all right. Then I can take the kids on vacation. Then I can... Uh, buy my wife a new ring, whatever. Like, you got it, you got money, then it can happen. Um, but that's, that's shortchanging what it means to be all right. Some people think uh, everything will be okay if they, if they can just change the way they see their body. Um, if you guys would have seen me last night trying to figure out what shirt I was going to wear, I mean, I'm like trying to suck in my gut, like, is this okay? <laughs> Where a few years ago, I'm like, yeah. Last night I was like, no, 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 no. But the thing is, like, I'm, I'm trying to gauge my level of being all right with how I look myself in the mirror. And it's shortchanging myself. Some people, they, they pour over the latest uh, TED Talks and, and self-help books to try to see if they can find the latest uh, tip from these, from these successful people. Because if they do those things, then they'd be okay. And not to say there's something bad with those things, but the thing that our heart yearns more than anything else is to be all right with God. 
So anything else is shortchanging ourselves. And there's a problem in that because everything is not all right between us and God, especially for those who are outside of Christ. And even, even sometimes the people who say they're in the, in the kingdom of Christ but are doing that, that on the fence thing where uh, Jesus is okay on the weekends but he's not okay with me during the rest of the week, everything is not okay with us and God. We live in a world that's, that's wicked and harsh and self-centered and foul and hating and contrary to God in every single way. And we not only live in this world, but we actively participate in it. So even if we wanted to change how we live, some kind of way the world tempts us to, to come back over to, to that, if I, if I can use a Star Wars reference, the dark side of the force. Right? This is, this is an offensive way to live to God. It's essentially what's happening is we, we see God and we see his kingdom, but then we say, but I want to belong to this kingdom. And the problem is this, this kingdom is declaring war on God. It's saying your standard of living is not what we want to do. And when we commit ourselves to sinning or when we are okay with sin, we're committing ourselves to this false kingdom. And we're at ends with God in those times. It makes us an enemy of God, the Bible says. And in that case, we, we need help. We need to be made right with God. We, we need to live in a new, beautiful kingdom. And that's what the Beatitudes are telling us. That to be all right with God means being a citizen of his kingdom. If you are blessed by God, if you're all right with God, you are a citizen of his kingdom. And if I were to boil that down to asking this one question, I'm going to ask this question a lot during the sermon. It's this, are you all right with God? Is everything okay with you and God? There are some of us who can say, yeah, me and God are cool. And we forget about all the stuff we did on the way to church this morning. Or some of us would say, no, everything is not okay with me and God. Um, And we say, God could never love me in the state that I'm in. And the Beatitudes says, but that's a false statement because there's opportunity for you to be loved by God in that. So there's three points that I want to make uh, as I'm asking this question, are you all right with God? The first one is, why do I need to be all right with God? The second is, what does it look like to be a citizen of God's kingdom? What does it look like to be all right with God? And the third, what what do I have to do to be a citizen of God's kingdom? Those, Those are the three points we're going to be going through. And so the first one, why do I need to be made all right with God? To answer that question, I got to go back to Genesis. So Genesis chapter one, God creates everything, every single thing. God, it's not that anything was there. God said, let there be, and it, it just was. The power of God in his perfection says, let there be light. Boom, there was light. Let there be earth. Bam, there was earth. Let there be stars and moon and quasars and all kind of other crazy stuff out in the universe. Bam, everything's created, right? God, ex nihilo, out of nothing, creates everything. And as he's creating it, he's creating it perfect. Imagine that. You could, you, you could hang out with a lion and everything's okay. You can, you can climb up to the top of Mount Everest and not have to take an oxygen tank with you because you just want to explore the beauty of God's creation. God made everything perfectly beautiful. 
and he set himself over the king of his own creation. And then within his creation, he creates Adam. And he sets up Adam, he creates him out of the the dust of the ground, and he breathes life into him. He says, Adam, you are now my vice king. And though I get to rule over everything, you get a chance to, to manage it. How cool is that? There's this just perfect relationship with God. Things were so good between Adam and God that Adam could just be completely exposed to God and not have to hide from him. He could just walk with God daily. The Bible says God would come into the cool of the garden and he would walk with Adam. You guys ever yearn to walk with God? Just, Just everything laid out before God not have to worry that God was going to judge you for anything or that anything was wrong between you and God. Things were just beautiful between you and God. That's the way Adam's relationship with God was. And then something happened. Um, You had uh, Adam and his new wife, Eve, they're they're sitting around in the garden, uh, naked and unashamed, which is another benefit of the garden. And um, um, and he's he's in the garden, and then uh, Satan comes up. And, and he, t- he tells Adam, uh, though you have this kingdom, though God has given you all these things, uh, you don't need that. You can set up your own kingdom. You could be like God and have your own kingdom. And Adam falls for it. And everything falls apart. And now this rival kingdom is set up to God's perfect kingdom. And now things are not okay with God and his people anymore. So as Adam is having kids and all the way down the line until it gets us, gets to us in 2018 in Sparks, Nevada, things are no longer okay with us and God. We have now set up this rival kingdom to God and he's at war with it because it's opposed to his good rule. And because of Adam's rebellion, we're now naturally born into this rival kingdom, this kingdom of rebellion and actively participate in it. It's not like we're just born into it and we're like, I never sin. I just live in a world that's sinful. If we're honest with ourselves, we actively participate in this rebellious kingdom. And look at what it says. The Bible does not paint a pretty picture of those who live in this rival kingdom. James 4.4 says, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Enmity means you guys are beefing. Do you not understand that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Whoa. And look at, look, look at what the payment is for living in this world. Look at what we get out of it. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin, that's rebellion against God. The, the, the payment for rebelling against God is death. And not, not just the first time we die that everybody goes through. This is an eternal punishment. Look at what it says in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 46 says, these, those are the rebellious ones, will go away into eternal punishment. Our rebelliousness has eternal consequences. It's not just that we have it in this life. God is looking at it through the lens of eternity and saying, everyone who rebels against me will be sent away into eternal torment. We need help. That's, that's, that's why we need to be made right with God. Because things are not okay with us. And, and our eternity is on the line. Are you all right with God? And the Bible says this isn't just for, um, you know, the, the real bad people in our society, right? Like 
serial killers and child abusers and like rapists and people who live inside the DC belt loop. For them, right? That's no, the Bible says everybody shares in this rebellion. Everybody is guilty of it. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not, not even one. Not even that person that just went through your head. They're not righteous either. We need to be made right with God. Because if there anybody, there's anybody we don't want to have beef with, it's the guy who looked at Sodom and Gomorrah and said, I'm sick of what they're doing, and we can no longer find Sodom and Gomorrah on a map. This is the man, this is the, the, the being, the, the man, the Godhead who holds our eternity in his hands, the man who has the power to, and authority and righteousness to send us to hell for our, our disobedience. We don't want to have beef with him. So we need to be made right with God. But my second point, what does it look like to live into this kingdom? Like, I, like we want this, we want to be made right with God, but what, is it, what does life in this kingdom look like? That's where we come to the Beatitudes. Look at uh, chapter five, verse one. It says, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So Jesus seeing the crowds of people, they're all gathered around from all over the place. And some people are probably opposed to what he's saying, but most are there because they want to hear what he's saying. They're bringing their sick people so he can, they, he can, get, can get healed. And they think it's like a magic trick, but they don't care. They just want their people healed. So all kind of people from all kind of different aims, right? And he goes up on uh, this mountain that's um, in the north of uh, the Sea of Galilee in a place called Capernaum. And uh, his disciples come around him and they're, and they're ready to receive the teaching. And imagine a scene with me, right? We're out there. There's a crowd of people all around there. They're from different, uh, all over the country, from different places. They got different accents, different walks of life. Uh, sometimes they, you know, they got that, probably that, from the south, you know, from the south, they got that southern twang to them. So you got those folks that you're trying to deal with, trying to understand what they're saying. And you got people from different uh, job backgrounds. So they got different smells on them. Like you got the, the goat herder over here who just, you know, whatever that smell is. And you got the guy who's probably allergic to cheese and he had a grilled cheese sandwich that morning. So you got that smell going on. And so you got, you got all this stuff happening and, and people are, are talking and interacting. There's all, all kind of stuff going on. And, and if you can imagine it, uh, the Sea of Galilee is, it's, it's, it's like crystal out there and it's warm in the, in the middle, middle Eastern sun and this cool breeze comes off the, the med- that, that Sea of Galilee and it's cooling you down. And so uh, everything is, all your senses are alive and there's this electric vibe in the air as you're, you're waiting and anticipating this man that you've traveled for miles to come in here and finally he steps up and he sits down and everybody goes quiet, right? And I can imagine Jesus as he's looking out over the crowd and he's, he's looking into the people's faces and he, he's just, he knows each one of them by name and he's saying, I, I know you, like you're, you're here and you're, you're humble and I love you. And you're here and you're, you're a skeptic, and, but I love you. And uh, you're here and, and you're here. And all these people are here and it's just swelling Jesus' heart with pride. And he's, I can imagine just a smile coming to Jesus' face as he says, these are my people. I love them so much. And they need to hear about my kingdom. In verse two, it says, and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Probably not the first thing they thought was going to come out of his mouth. Because essentially he says, the, the people that are most all right with God 
are the humble. And our world is completely different than that. Our world says, you got to take life by the horns. Don't let anybody step on you. Be the top dog. Be the valedictorian. Be, be the best over everybody else. Stomp them all, your, all the way down the field if you're into football. Like, you got to be the best. But, but Jesus comes along and says, no, uh, those most all right with God are the most humble. And in this kingdom of heaven that he's talking about, he's expressing this special presence with God. So in other words, Jesus is saying those who are the most humble are the ones who are going to get my special presence. It's not the person who's self-promoting. It's not the person who's success-driven, who knows all the right people, who's the squeakiest wheel in the crowd. It's the humble. God's special presence is reserved for those who are serving others, who are forgiving people completely, who are forgiving when people do wrong things against them, for people who are not looking for special recognition when they do a good job. They're not looking for attaboys. They're counting others as more important than themselves. These type of people, the Bible says, belong the kingdom of heaven. So my question to you is, are you all right? Are, are you humble like this? I'm, I'm going to keep asking these questions as we go through these Beatitudes because as Jesus is saying them, I'm sure the people in the crowd were feeling the same thing. Like, I hear you, but I'm not like that. If this is what your kingdom is like, I don't know if I belong. But there's good news at the end. Hold on. Put your seatbelts on. Verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These people... Um, that. These people were living in a culture there and where those who mourned were ostracized. They were, they were saying, get, get over yourself. Why are, why are you still mourning? It's, it's been days and weeks. You should be over this by now. Why are, you, why, why are you continuing to mourn? Why do you care about what's happening over there? That doesn't, that's not concerning you. But these were people who were connected to, to their culture in an intimate way. And so they understood what was happening on around them and they knew that they had this separation from God that was terrible. They were supposed to be God's people. And a lot of them were mourning internally. Do we mourn like this? As, as, you, as you turn on the news and you see what's happening around the nation in the places like Chicago, do you mourn for those people? People are getting murdered on a daily basis. Do you mourn for them? Do you mourn for seemingly godless places like L.A., Chicago, Vegas, where Christ is nowhere to be seen? Do you mourn for places like that because they don't know the truth of the gospel? Do you feel hopeless to change anything? Or or since it doesn't directly affect you, do you just kind of put it to the back burner? Do you mourn? Are, Are you all right with God? Because God is saying it's those who mourn who are all right with him. To them, it says, belongs the kingdom of God, who will receive this deep soul comfort that their souls need. Verse five says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There's a real fundamental difference between being meek and being weak. Um, And a lot of people hear meek and they say, oh, so you just want me to be some kind of doormat. Let somebody smack me in the face and me just like turn the other cheek. And people stay away from Jesus because of verses like that. Um, but listen, like you being a doormat, it's like that's weakness. 
And that's not what Christ is advocating. He's advocating meekness. Meekness is the idea that you have the physical strength or, or, or social standing to do something about it, but you choose not to because you have the strength. It's, it's not in question. So it's like me and my 10-year-old, oh my goodness, me and my three-year-old son, um, we play tackle sometimes, right? And he's got, I mean, he's scrawny. Like he's got this little 10-pound frame, right? I'm not 10 pounds, by the way. But he has this little 10-pound frame. And so he comes charging at me, and he, he rockets himself into my side. And so there's a way that in my strength, I can just let his little butt bounce off me and be like, yeah, now what you got? <laughs> but I don't. I have the, I have the strength to, to resist him. But in that meekness, because I love him, I give in. And I, and I allow him to tackle daddy. You see, you, see, you see how that works. We, we have the strength to do something, to, to say something back, to, 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 to puff your chest out if you wanted to. But in our meekness, we say, no, there, there's something greater for me, and I don't, need to, I don't need to have vengeance for myself. A lot of people feel like it's the, it's the, the, the one who... Uh, is the biggest and the baddest and the fastest who should get the biggest reward because our world is built on the survival of the fittest, right? So the strongest survive. It's, it's never the, the mild-mannered uh, reporter who gets the girl. It's always the guy with the, you know, the big bulky muscles and curly hair and unitard spandex. That's, that's who gets the girl. It's, it's, it's never really the, the stay-at-home mom who gets teacher of the year. Uh, even though she may be putting in all the work um, and standing strong against what culture is trying to tell her she should be doing. But in her meekness, she says, but I, but I see something greater. That's meekness. Meekness is not being a doormat. Um, but it's also not smiling in someone's face, but then cursing a person out under your breath. It's, it's being meek both externally and internally. It's, it's having a gentle and quiet spirit, the Bible describes it as. Being meek requires that. But please hear what I'm saying in this verse and, and hear what the verse is saying. If you're a person who is relying on their own strength and their own status in this life, this kingdom is not for you. You belong to a rival kingdom. That, that is terrifying. And I, I can say that's terrifying because I rely on my own strength frequently. Like I, if someone comes against me or tries to uh, be a pastor, Kyle, uh, at our elder retreat, he challenged me to an arm wrestling contest. And in my meekness, I could have said, no, nah, man, like we're cool. But no, he's not going to get me. So I'm do everything I can. I got blood vessels bursting out of my head trying to win. I didn't win, by the way. It's okay. I'll get him next time. But here's my thing. Are you all right with God? Because, because it's the meek who get this inheritance with Christ. It's the meek who get to share an eternal life with King Jesus. It's not those who try to rely on their own strength. It says, blessed are the righteousness, excuse me, uh, verse six. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Righteousness is sometimes, it, it has this idea that you see bad things happening around you and you, everything inside of your body is like, they need justice. Something needs to happen. Something needs to change, and it needs to change now. Or maybe, or maybe you have these internal convictions where you're coming across a verse like this, and you're like, God, I, I, I need to be saved. Like I, something needs to happen. I'm sin-ridden. 
I need your righteousness. Do you hunger and thirst for it though? I think, I think sometimes we, we, we think it's a nice to have, but we, if we were honest, we wouldn't say we hunger and thirst for it. It's kind of like going into a restaurant, right? And you're starving. And you tell the chef, I will take anything you bring me out. I don't care what it is. It could even be from the garbage. Give me something. I am so hungry. That's the idea of, of, of hungering for something. And I think a lot of times what we do is we go to the restaurant and, and, and we try to, we take like a half hour to pick and choose. Do I want the steak? Do I want the shrimp? And we treat righteousness that way. And we say, it's, it's a nice thing to have, but I'm not hungering and thirsting for it. To, to thirst for righteousness, is, it's like being out in the middle of the Nevada desert for three days with no water. And, and you feel like you're going to die on the inside. Do you, do you feel like you're going to die if you don't have this righteousness for yourself or for those around you? Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Because the Bible says it's those who get the special presence with God. Are you all right with God? That does it bother you that when you drive down the street here in Nevada, that only about 4% of the people you're looking at know the love of Jesus. That means 96% of the people who are walking down our streets are walking zombies because they don't know the love of Christ and they haven't been made alive. And they're going to hell without Christ. Does it bother you on the inside? It should cause something akin to hunger and thirst when you realize it. Are you all right with God? Verse seven says, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Are you merciful? The, the idea of mercy is you don't give someone something that they deserve. So like, uh, it's not, it's kind of like when you have kids and they sneak out of the house in the middle of the night and instead of giving them a punishment, you give them like mercy. You don't give them the, the tail whooping that they deserve. I'm not saying that I ever did that, by the way. Mom, if you're listening, I never did that. <laughs> That's the idea of mercy. Like you don't give someone they act- something they actually deserve. Do you make it a regular practice to forgive people, completely forgive people? It's, it's merciful. It's full of mercy. You're so full of mercy that you don't have room for, for vengeance and revenge and hard feelings. You can forgive someone completely, even if they don't ask for it. But we say stuff like, I'll, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. But that person is holding on to that vengeance. So are you merciful? Because it's those people who said that the Bible says that will receive the mercy of God. That's a challenge. Are you all right with God? And, and if you're listening to this, like, like me that I've done all week, every single one of these, I'm like, nope, 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 me and God are not okay. Because this is a high, high bar that God is asking for. But there's good news in that too. Because it's, it's Christ who does those things on our behalf. God, God doesn't look at our efforts to try to fulfill these things. He looks at Christ and his perfect work in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection and says, I'm going to count it to them in righteousness as if they did it themselves. That is the good news of the gospel. There's, there's a way that we can hear this and we can come off saying that Jesus is trying to get us to, to earn our way into heaven. Like if we do these things, then we'll be accepted by God. Or, or if I'm in the kingdom, 
this is the way that I'm going to keep my seat at the table. But God is saying, no, I love you. You have a seat at my table. When, you, when you're in my kingdom, you have a seat at my table. These, these things are what my son looks like, and he's retransforming you into his image and likeness. We can, we can read this and we can conclude that God is upset with us when we don't live up to these standards. And God is saying, no, I, I love you. Just, just believe in me. There's a way that we can read this and we can conclude that, yeah, I'm, I'm killing it. Like, I'm doing every single one of those. You should see how humble I am. And meek, psh, I'm the meekest person you ever know. Slap me right now. Find out. And God is saying, you know what? You could follow every single one of these perfectly and still not be okay with me. The way you're okay with me is you accept my son. This is not the entrance exam into heaven. This is what Christ is transforming us into. So what do we have to do to be right with God? That's my third point. What must I do to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Man, it is so simple. Sometimes it hurts. Turn away from your sins and believe in Jesus. There's, there's, there's no magic formula here. Just turn away from that rival king and, and point yourself to the actual king. The Bible says, trust in, trust in excuse me, believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Jesus has already cleared the way for you to become a citizen of heaven. He's already lived a perfect life of, of humbleness and mourning and meekness and righteousness and mercifulness. There's nothing you could do to add what he's already done. The most beautiful thing Jesus did was to climb up on that cross, lay down his life for those he calls his friends, and then raise back up so that he can give them eternal life. That is the beautiful way. Jesus, as he's up on the cross, and he, he's screaming out, it is finished put to death any of our attempts to try to make ourselves right with God. When we're in Christ, we're right with God. God looks at this question, are you all right with God? And he says, if you're my son, the answer is a resounding yes. Well done, good and faithful servant, for believing in my son. And though we, though we experience these beatitudes now, I don't want to make it seem like these are all things that are like, in the kingdom to come, because there's a way that you can read and say, man, God's kingdom is going to be great. And while we can yes and amen that, we get a lot of this stuff in the here and now too. God, God said that the kingdom of God is at hand. It is right now. God said that the kingdom of God is already dwelling within you. We already have the meekness and righteousness and everything else we, did, we need to live a holy life that is pleasing to God because we have it through Christ and what he did on the cross a long time ago. So two things that I want to give us as, as words of application. Um, first is an encouragement, and it's this. Don't be afraid to live life in light of the cross. And here's what I mean by that. As we're going through these Beatitudes, it says, the first one says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Don't be afraid to live a humble life. Don't be afraid to get humiliated in this life. There's going to be people that as you're, as you're walking through life and you're claiming Christ and, and everything's going great, they are going to come against you and, and come against you terribly. And they're going to talk bad about you. And, and some of you may, may lose jobs. Some of you may lose reputation. Some of you are on social media and you're proclaiming Christ and people are coming against you like, like you're just a terrible human being. Don't be afraid to be humiliated. 
because it says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven for those who are humiliated in this life. The Bible says, uh, blessed are those who mourn. Don't be afraid to lose things in this life. Don't be afraid if, if things are taken away from you, family members or, or, or reputation or, or, or toys or any of those things. Don't be afraid to lose those things because your inheritance in heaven is, is going to be far greater than anything this life has to offer. The Bible says, uh, blessed are the meek. Don't be afraid to hold yourself back. You may have the strength and power to do something about it. You may have uh, like a, some nice pecs. You know, you can bulk out a little bit. But don't be afraid to live meek. If somebody comes against you, say, okay, I, 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 know, I know where I'm going to spend my eternity. I, I, don't need, I don't need to exercise vengeance on you. I could be meek, and that's okay. Verse 6 says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't be afraid to go against the grain. If everybody is, is living in this unrighteous way, don't be afraid to stand up for Christ and say, no, like, I want to live in a holy way. I, I, want, I want as much as I can to be holy before God and offer my life as a spiritual sacrifice. Don't be afraid to live in a righteous way before God. Those are the people who are going to be satisfied by his presence. It says, blessed are the merciful. Don't be afraid to forgive freely. You don't, you don't have to hold back forgiveness. You don't, you don't have to say, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Through the power of Christ, you actually can forget. You, you, can, you can live your life as if it never happened. If you want it to, don't be afraid to. You can forgive freely. You don't always have to get in the last word. You don't always have to say something under your breath. So, my other point of application is actually a warning. So here's the thing. I read to the end of this book. Uh, I cheated a little bit. And what I found was Jesus wins. So <laughs> if you were a member of this rival kingdom, get off that team. <laughs> Join the kingdom of Christ. You don't have to wait. Today, you can make that choice. Today, you can say, man, that way is beautiful. And that's what I want. I don't, I don't want everything this world has to offer. It hasn't offered me anything thus far, but the kingdom of God is offering me eternal life and a chance to be, to be humble and be loved at the same time, to be, to be meek and still be accepted, to, to, be, to mourn and not feel like something's wrong with me. This way is beautiful. This way is starting to seem ugly. You can make that choice and decide for Christ today. Amen? Amen. Y'all pray with me. God, thank you for this word of truth. It's, um, it is such a beautiful way that um, sometimes I think we take it for granted and we say it's, it's probably a nice to have, but I could never live that way. Um, but we know that for those who are in Christ, of course we can live that way because you've given us everything we need to live that righteous life. Jesus, thank you for the example of what it looks like to live in, in, a, in an awesome, beautiful way. Um, but we need your help because we can't do it ourselves, God. Uh, send your Holy Spirit to help us live in this beautiful way and point us to uh, your cross as we bring our kingdom to the cross and put it to death. Um, God, thank you for all you do. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.